0: Okay, well, uh, we're back in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, which we started way back in February, and that seems like an insanely long time ago, uh, but we did. And um, we had a break last week, uh, but it's good to be back to finish it off over the next two Sundays. And you might remember, if you're with us, that way back in February, we began this series by asking the question How do you truly flourish as a person? And a second question kind of flowed out of that. Is it possible to flourish even in the midst of severe trial? Is our flourishing dependent on things going well for us, or can, it, can we even flourish in, in when things are really going terribly? And at the time, that question seemed kind of academic. Uh, who could have known that we would have to put that uh, to the test in such an uh, unprecedented way? But here we are in the midst of a global crisis. And uh, I'm sure you've noticed times of crisis tend to bring out uh, the very best and the very worst of people. Uh, we've seen some of the best. We've seen some wonderful acts of kindness uh, from people to people. But we've also seen a real darker side. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks specifically um, about what that darker side looks like. Um, and he he, he um, uh, talks about two things specifically which attack our flourishing. Two things that really inhibit our ability to thrive. Uh, both in our own lives and how we ourselves flourish, but also how uh, our opportunities to help other people flourish as well. And we're seeing both of them at work right now, um, and perhaps we're even seeing them in our own hearts as well. Now, two weeks ago, Campbell shared about the first one, the first enemy of flourishing, uh, and that was anxiety that's caused by fear. I really encourage you to go back and listen to that one on the podcast if you missed it. Uh, Now we're going to look at one that uh, doesn't happen to you. It actually comes from you and that's judgmentalism and that's caused by pride now we're going to unpack what all that means so let's go to Matthew chapter 7 start with uh, starting at verse 1 do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's a really famous passage. Um, It's one that most people are familiar with, even um, lots of people outside of the church. It's a passage that represents what lots of people really want Jesus and Christianity to be all about. they want People want Jesus to be a person who's non-judging and non-condemning, someone who's totally fine with how I choose to live my life and who wants me to be fine with how everyone else lives their lives as well. Um, and that kind of gets us some of the way, but it's not quite there. There's actually a real problem with that interpretation because it doesn't actually square with how Jesus acts in lots of other places in the Gospels and certainly doesn't fit with the broader Um, story of the Bible. So what's going on? Well, it all comes down to what Jesus means by the word judge. Now, um, in English, we tend to think of it as uh, about making a judgment, you know, making an assessment of how someone else might be in the wrong. It's not quite how the word is used here. It's, It's close, it's related, but it's not quite there. The sense here is to unfairly and harshly condemn someone to unfairly and harshly condemn it's more than judging it's actually about judgmentalism so we could paraphrase our verse 1 like this don't harshly condemn others or you'll find yourself harshly condemned or put it to put it another way don't find fault with others without first being aware of your own faults by the way, this isn't meant to be a universal rule. Some people have read it like that. It's not meant to say that this is always how things work. If you're um, judgmental towards someone, you'll be, people will be judgmental to you. No, it's a general statement of how things work. It's kind of like you reap what you sow. If you sow harsh criticism towards others, you will invite into your life harsh criticism. The famous little proverb of the plank and the speck, it's really evocative, it paints a great image, um, and it beautifully sums up this teaching. You know, be careful if you get outraged by this small thing that someone else does, because it might be that actually you're guilty of the exact same thing, perhaps in a different form, and you just can't see it. Now, let's see how this plays out with a very current example um, you may have noticed a hashtag going around social media, hashtag COVIDiots. Uh, it's professionally referring to people who are currently really flouting the uh, physical distancing rules that our government has put in place. So going to the beach, having house parties, cramming in the airport waiting rooms. Um, and it's all led to some really vocal media, social media condemnation. So let's just use it as an example. How would we and how should we respond to that? Is Jesus saying that we shouldn't even make an assessment of that behavior? Just say, none of my business, it's other people's problems, and just ignore it. Well, not quite. It's a bit more nuanced than that, I think. There's a wrong way to respond, and a right way. The wrong way to respond is to be judgmental. On one hand, to publicly slam these people as idiots while at the same time creating this impression that you would never act like that or in any way like that. (laughs) What it does is diminish the value of others while at the same time puffing up your own value. And it completely fails to take in empathy. You fail to take into account that the same things that pushed them to act like that are at work in you as well. You create this false division between them and you, us and them. They they become those people over there who are morally inferior, but you are, and your friends, are morally morally superior. It's funny, judgmentalism is actually a form of selfishness. It's, It's right to say that we never sin just because we accidentally do it or out of obligation. No, we sin because there's a payoff. So what's the payoff for judgmentalism? Well, the goal of, of judgmentalism, when, you, when you're feeling it, is, is not for the benefit of others to see them um, understand that, the, that they're in the wrong and to change. No, the, the, the payoff is about justifying yourself. It's about finding a way to feel acceptable, that um, the way you live is right and righteous. It actually is, it has the payoff of making you feel good about yourself, actually. So judgmentalism attacks our flourishing because it snuffs out humility and the ability to self-reflect, and it instead uh, puffs puffs us up with pride and attacks the flourishing of others because we seek to diminish their value as people who are precious to God. And Jesus is saying here in this teaching that that kind of um, behavior and that kind of even inward behavior that others can't see is inappropriate if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus. So that's the wrong way. So if, if that's not the right way to respond, then how should we respond? Well, we might think it could be just to ignore bad behavior and just wall ourselves off to it, but no, it's, there's more to it than that. It might surprise you, but actually, uh, we should judge people, we should make assessments. We should applaud virtues like kindness, compassion, and generosity. And we should decry selfishness, violence, and irresponsibility. But there's a secret to doing it in a way that avoids judgmentalism. Verse 6 um, is a famously difficult passage to understand, but I think it's actually the balance of the first, uh, a balance for the first five verses. Let's have a look at it. Verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, in the first century, um, dogs were generally strays and carried disease. uh, And pigs were a famously unclean animal for Jewish people that they really avoided. So here, these animals um, are symbols. They represent human behavior that is wrong and immoral. Jesus is saying, look, there's lots of swiney stuff out there. And the command then is not to uh, condone it, but actually um, to judge it. But we have to judge it rightly. And so Jesus gives us a, um, a way, a method, to judge some, someone rightly without being judgmental. Um, so, So here's what you do. The first thing when you come across a situation, is um, to look into the situation and, and ask yourself, is this behavior actually wrong or is it just kind of not my personal preference? That's the first thing. Now, if you believe it is actually wrong, the second thing is to look into the person who's doing it. Show a bit of empathy. Try and put yourself in the other person's shoes and ask, is there a valid reason for why they're acting that way? Third, look into yourself. Do you see the very same motivations at work in your own heart? Are you tempted to act in exactly the same way? Do you do similar things and you just kind of justify them or ignore them, forget about them? And fourthly, look at them through God's eyes. See them for what God sees them to be. Human beings made in God's image. Someone that he has infinite love for just as he has infinite love for you. So you see that? Look into the situation, make an assessment. Then look into the person, show empathy. Look within yourself, do a bit of self-reflection. And then look through God's eyes to see how He sees things. How do you think going through those steps would change how you see people? Now, you may well assess um, some behavior as wrong, and rightly so. You may well still uh, condemn their actions but you won't condemn them as a person. Instead, your response, if you make one, and I think this will generate in you a slowness about responding, you'll be full of gentleness, you'll be more inclined to show mercy, and you'll be more inclined to humbly confess that you perhaps are not that different. So that's how the judge while not being judgmental. So let's come back to our illustration. What about the people in our society right now not following the, um, not not respecting each other through um, physical distancing? Well, certainly I think we should encourage our fellow Australians to act responsibly and lovingly towards each other. But at the same time, we should admit that the same feelings of fear and anxiety that may well drive them to act in those ways, that uh, are at work in us as well, and we're not proud of them. They may be not as bad, but perhaps not as far off as we'd like. Now, uh, some people, I think, are hearing this and thinking, cool, no problem. I'll just stop being judgmental. I'll do some online classes on being empathetic and I've got lots of of time on my hands anyway, so might as well. But others have just heard this, and you're not so sure that it's going to be so easy. Because if you're quite attuned to your own heart, you might be thinking, that's actually really hard. Judgmentalism comes so easily, so naturally. To be perfectly perfectly honest, I'm I'm amazed at how easily it comes to my own life when I see things that I think I want to judge and, and scorn. It's almost into automatic, isn't it? It almost arrives without invitation, and, and then it's so hard to kick out again. actually, it turns out it's nigh on impossible to just stop being judgmental. It actually takes a work of God in your heart. So the next verses in our passage are by themselves, incredibly comforting, but taken in this context, they turns out they are the essential key to avoid being judgmental. And actually the central key for our previous passage about um, not being anxious. So let's look at our verses uh, seven onwards: "Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him In a crisis like we're in anxiety and judgmentalism the enemies are flourishing they they come unbidden and we haven't a hope of real change unless we can access a new spiritual power that plants the seeds of security Anxiety and compassion instead of judgmentalism in our hearts. Jesus promises to supply that kind of power if we have the humility and faith to ask for it. We have to ask for it. We can't obey just by saying, we'll do better. We have to come before God as our good Father and say, Father, we are judgmental people. We are too often full of superiority, too often harsh towards others we have to pray for the gift of God's Spirit, for Him to fill us and birth in us a completely new attitude. To, to give us as a gift a, a natural reflex to consider our own failings before we become outraged at the failings of others. A reflex, a reflex of mercy and compassion, of gentleness and empathy. We need to recognize how sometimes we are swines and how we treat others. So we confess, we repent, we ask our Father to help. And rest in his promise that he'll answer and he'll give us everything that we need. But even the motivation to ask God humbly for help doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes um, along with our prayers when we set our eyes on the source and power of every one of God's promises. See, judgmentalism will always come naturally to you until you experience the lengths God has gone to bring us out from under His righteous judgment. We know that it was we humans, the human race, that cast God's most tr- precious treasure, his son Jesus, into the hands of true swines, truly wicked men. And yet when Jesus looked down from the cross, on the crowd they gathered uh, around him, he was filled with compassion. The only person to ever live who truly had the right to judge every single human being. And yet in that moment, Jesus withheld divine judgment. In the ultimate act of empathy, compassion, and mercy, He allowed the judgment of God instead to fall on Himself, even though we justly deserved it. Now, when you get that, when you embody it, when you experience the power of that truth, to that same extent you will be able to extend that same grace to others. You will become able to pause and think and reflect and then respond, not by comparing others to your own great morality, but actually comparing others to God's character and yourself to his character as well. And so judge rightly. And judge in a way which longs for that person to be restored and to come to know this grace in the same way that you have. Not allowing evil to go unnamed, but longing for evildoers to find forgiveness, just as we have. So I hope that's an encouragement for you um, over the next days and weeks um, and over the course of your life as you confront these enemies of flourishing in your hearts.